0: I think something that's fundamental and is being destructive, I really do think it's destructive, is this these straitjacket of what, edu- what a good education looks like, this remembering more, knowing more and remembering more. These little sentences that land in a handbook that look, you know, quite innocent or fidelity. So this phonics thing and the fidelity of the scheme, mm-hmm. They land in the in the frame in the in the handbook, and then the profession. There's like an explosion around these words, and so phonics and the commodification of phonics schemes. The madness that has then exploded from this this one word, I think, is quite honestly unethical. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Rethinking Education, Education's Critical
0: Friend.
2: Hello once again, my fathomless friends, and welcome to the Rethinking Education podcast, Education's Critical Friend. My name is James Mannion, and you really are most welcome. Put your feet up and I'll bring you a brew and a biscuit or two. Before I introduce today's guest, the first in a new mini series of head teachers and former heads sharing their thoughts and experiences of Ofsted, England's schools inspectorate for the benefit of international listeners, I have some exciting news and indeed an exciting offer to share with you. As regular listeners may recall, indeed many of you were there in person, 2022 saw the birth of an education conference like no other. Mainstream educators, alternative educators, home educators, researchers, psychologists, parents and carers, children and young people and many more besides all in one big tent and all represented on the platforms. I may be speaking out of turn, but as far as I'm aware, this has never been done before. We're especially proud of the fact that last year we had 17 sessions run by children and young people. And they were sensational, as you would expect. For a flavour of last year's conference, you can check out some links in the show notes, including a glowing review in Schools Week, a fascinating blog by Tina Farr, a primary headteacher who experienced a moment of creative discomfort in an unschooling workshop, And there's a treasure trove of, I think, 88 videos from last year's conference, including the astonishing Hot Takes Assembly, which is well worth a visit, where three young people just sort of spontaneously came up and grabbed the microphone and each delivered an absolute knockout speech. Despite our best efforts, we didn't manage to fix the entire education system in a single day. So we're going to get together again in 2023, only this time we plan to be bigger and bolder and to shine more brightly than ever before. The Rethinking Education Conference 2023 will be held at Parliament Hill School in North London on Saturday, the 23rd of September. Early bird tickets are now available, which gives you a £10 discount. And further to that, as a friend of Rethinking Education, I have a special offer to share with you. If you would like to come to this conference, or if you know anyone else who might be interested, you can use the promo code RE20FRIEND, all capital letters, that's RE20, and then the word FRIEND, all caps, to receive a further discount. This will give you a total reduction of £20 from the general admission price. So do come along if you can, and if you can't make it, please feel free to spread the word and to share that promo code RE20FRIEND with anyone you think might like to take advantage of this offer. The offer is only available until April the 30th, 2023, so get in there quick. Okay, And so to today's guest, I actually bring you a slightly different offering today than normal. As every educationalist in England will no doubt be aware, as well as many of our friends overseas, there's a rather heated debate unfolding in this country at the moment about Ofsted, the Office for Standards in Education, the school's inspectorate. Teachers and school leaders have been concerned with the way in which Ofsted goes about its business for as long as I can recall but the recent uptick in anger and defiance and outrage really has been prompted by the tragic death of Ruth Perry, a primary head teacher who took her own life while she was awaiting the publication of an Ofsted report. It should be said that at the time of recording, we're still awaiting a coroner's report into the circumstances surrounding Ruth's death. And of course suicide is a complex issue and it never really boils down to one thing. However, Ruth's family, and in particular her sister, have given interviews in the press suggesting that the recent Ofsted inspection, following which the school in question was to be downgraded from outstanding to inadequate, had weighed particularly heavily on Ruth in the weeks leading up to her death. It also appears that this was not an isolated incident. Last week, an investigation by the Observer newspaper revealed that the stress associated with going through an Ofsted inspection has been cited in the coronary reports relating to the deaths of at least 10 teachers as a contributory factor. There have been various calls over the years and especially recently for Ofsted to be reformed or abolished or even simply just paused until there's been an investigation into what happened in this particular case with steps taken to ensure that this can never happen again. Abolish Ofsted is an easy slogan to use and indeed Full disclosure, I have used that hashtag myself in recent weeks when feelings have been running high. However, this is not an easy problem to solve. Ofsted performs an important legal duty and abolishing this organization would create significant problems. As Sam Friedman wrote in a helpful article in the New Statesman recently, Ofsted is not a regulator for schools, It cannot fire anyone or insist that a school be closed or taken over. It simply provides an inspection report. The regulator is the Department for Education. It's officials at the DfE and ultimately ministers who decide whether to take action into any given school. And as Sam writes, the problem is that legally an Ofsted report is the only thing that they can use to intervene in a school except for financial or governance irregularities. Sam goes on... These inspection reports, therefore, have to bear the entire weight of our very limited and unintelligent regulation of schools. No single piece of information can or should be used like this. And it's this that creates the stress that many teachers and headteachers experience. And under the current legal model, removing Ofsted would make it literally impossible to regulate schools. And it's essential that we're able to do so. Close quote. So there's a lot to unpick here. In an attempt to understand this problem more fully and to explore some ideas for how we might reform Ofsted, I put out a tweet asking headteachers and former heads to share their thoughts and several have been kind enough to respond. And so today I bring you the first in a series of interviews with headteachers and former heads talking about Ofsted. First up, we have Rebecca Leake. Rebecca is an experienced strategic leader who has worked across a wide range of settings and organizations and is currently the executive director of the Suffolk Primary Head Teachers Association. She's been a head teacher, an executive head teacher, a chief exec, a teacher and a senko, and is a veteran of no fewer than 14 Ofsted inspections. She is increasingly in demand as a speaker, a trainer and a writer and brings with her a wealth of knowledge and insight from her involvement in a number of sectors, including the arts, social enterprise, communications, permaculture, and education. Rebecca describes herself as a holistic leader, and she is interested in systems and governance, belonging, and spiritual sustenance within schools. That's nice, isn't it? How often do we hear people talking about schools as a place for developing and maintaining spiritual sustenance? As we will hear several times in this conversation, Rebecca's practice as a permaculturist informs much of what she does, in particular the principles of valuing diversity and paying attention to what happens at the margins. So without further ado, I will bring you my recent fascinating conversation with Rebecca Leake. I hope you enjoy the show. Rebecca Leek, welcome to the Rethinking Education podcast.
0: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
2: Thank you for for taking the time to speak with me and for and for responding to my requests. So recently, I put out a, a tweet on uh, on Twitter, obviously, to ask for 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 head teachers and former head teachers to share their thoughts on Ofsted, which has obviously been in the news of late. So could we start firstly just by asking you to introduce yourself to 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 our listeners and also to to explain why you responded to that tweet?
0: Yeah, so um, I am currently um, part time. I do other things as well. Currently, I'm the uh, executive director of the Suffolk Primary Head Teachers Association. And uh, in stuff that we have around prime, uh, 300 primary schools, uh, so I'm I'm swimming in that sea of primary school head teachers at the moment. Prior to that, I was a chief executive actually for a couple of years in Essex for three primary schools, and then prior to that, I was a head teacher, executive head teacher in Ipswich, uh, and and my run up to those roles was via actually a Senco route mainly. Uh, as a primary SENCO and a secondary SENCO. I actually started as a secondary Latin teacher um, and uh, and have worked in primary and secondary settings uh, and then through leadership and have had kind of really interesting system leadership roles in in multi-academy trusts, two two of those. Uh, So I've kind of got, I've had about, I think, about 14 inspections over quite a short period of time.
1: Mm. Uh,
0: and uh, and so including the school that I was head of in Ipswich when I had to step in because the substantive head teacher wasn't able to be at work and I had to step in and we had an inspection very shortly after I stepped in it was a tricky situation and because then it was RI and it was a second RI required improvement for people that don't know um, uh, we then were subject to a lot of monitoring during Covid so we had these very strange uh, remote inspections when they inspected the school via a screen, uh, and then we had our monitoring um, inspection, etc., etc. So, so I've 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 kind of tasted quite a lot of it uh, over the last mm. decade. Yeah,
2: interesting. Right. So, so, so you just wanted to share to share that experience, I guess.
0: Well, I I'm really interested in governance, and I see Ofsted as part of governance, which we can talk about in a minute. Um, but the other thing is, is I did respond quite quickly to the terrible news about Ruth Perry in terms of I over that weekend I wrote a letter to the uh, I composed a letter drafted a letter to the board to my board and said are you happy for me to put this open letter to Ofsted out Uh, And we we were one of the first organisations to do that. And it was picked up very quickly by the media. And I think I might have been quoted in every single local newspaper. Suddenly I was on the Today programme on Monday morning or Tuesday morning. And ITV, I was interviewed on the television and and I don't have a television. And people were messaging me saying (laughs) they'd seen me on the television. And suddenly I had this huge responsibility to try and articulate what lots of people were saying. Uh, and uh, and discern, if you like, the position of head teachers, particularly with Suffolk. Uh, uh, yeah, so I've been really in the mix over mm. the last 10 days or so. So that's, I think, maybe why I particularly responded.
2: Right. Wow. I didn't know about the, the media coverage. That must have been quite terrifying to find yourself on the Today programme.
0: Yes, Nick Robinson. Although I think I, I haven't timed it, but it was something like... 82 seconds or something because they always (laughs) run out of time and I was actually going to be on the Jeremy Vine show uh, and I was listening to it on the phone uh, with me in the wings so to speak and, uh, and, and then they ran out of time. So I spent half an hour listening to the Jeremy Vine show, including Michael Wilshaw, which is very annoying. Um, And and then, and interestingly, which is a side point that I would just like to make, that on every occasion that I was asked to speak on the radio uh, and there was something of a panel, they always had the man first, or they had two men first, or they had the man, and then they listened to me for a bit and nodded, and then they went back to the man. So there was a very clear pattern as well about giving... uh, amplifying the voice of the man or they thought there was more credibility in it or something but I would just like to highlight that trend mm. experience last week.
2: Yeah interesting point noted mm. um, and, and so so there's there's three questions that I generally ask to all my podcast guests and we apply these to, to education generally and they are essentially positives, challenges and fixes and I thought that that might be a useful way to frame uh, to frame these conversations and i've, I've got about eight eight head teachers or former heads i think who've who've lined up to to do these this series of short episodes over the next few weeks um, and so so if we, if it's okay with you let's let's use that let's use that format to start with positives and this could be about this you might interpret this in any number of ways it might be like positive aspects of you know these these dead inspections that you've that you've been through it could be positive ideas about governance generally and about the need for schools to be inspected generally, however you wish to interpret it. But what do you think are the positives here?
0: Well, I think that education is extremely important and um, we're in loco parentis uh, when our children cross that threshold into school. Mm. Um, and so... So there's something about risk, isn't there? There, there's something about. Uh, I've worked quite a lot in risk appetite and risk uh, um, writing, risk-based approach to things. So in thinking about, I've got three hundred children here. What are the key risks, and then checking that that's that, that's that's being looked at. Uh, and and you know it's too high a risk to just go well it'll probably be okay. Uh, I, I think I think is important, and so some level of checking and all a business models really. Uh, and I can talk about Stafford Beer uh, and the and viable systems model, which is really interesting in terms of it looks for the least amount of checking. But it does check so say you've got a big factory and there's a there's a you know there's a machine and the two thinking about willie Wonka and the chocolate factory you know there's like uh um toothpaste tubes and somebody has to check that the lids are on and how many times do you check do you check every hundred Do you check every thousand who does the checking how does the checking happen you know you have to you just have to do some checks sometimes i'm really interested in permaculture um, as a as a as a theory, as a framework, mm-hmm. and there's a big aspect of observing. So if you have a if you grower and you have a farm or you have land, the regular walking about is, if you like, a check. It's a, might be a soft check, but but you're looking and you're going, oh look, that's really interesting. The increased water that's in this corner of the field, um, because you maybe have chopped down some trees. If you don't notice that, if you don't have a look regularly enough. Then things will start to get out of hand. So, so I think basically, in answer to your question, what's good about it is it's really essential to make sure that everything is dynamically healthy, as in good and getting better, which is, I think, what most people would want. I mean, some people might disagree, but, but uh, so I think it's really, I think it's really healthy to do checking, if you like. Mm-hmm. So. So so that's what I would say is a is a key positive of, of inspections or of having a strong governance framework, which can be very light and very um, very lean. So I'm not saying we have to have a very heavy one, but 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 you do have to have one because it actually generates change and growth. Does that yeah. make sense?
2: Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. And so and so is this is this just a theoretical positive, or could you point to the these fourteen inspections that you've been through? Could you point to positive aspects of them? Are there are there mm. times when you thought, oh, do you know what actually, that was that was a good check? I feel I feel better, or I think that that was that was helpful or useful in some way or some mm. aspect of an inspection, maybe.
0: Yeah, I I think I don't think that the inspection framework, the methodology, is right. And I, I think it is ill-matched for producing. Uh, for, I don't think it is a, a good checking framework in terms of what they're looking for, how it's how it's done, um, the coercive power that's kind of embedded within it. So it's really difficult for me to say, when did I think it was good? I, I suppose I did meet a few people who were interested in what the school that I was working at was doing at the time um i cert- I certainly got a career boost from playing the game well to to state it really cynically right so I had a really interesting experience as a secondary school Senko, which I loved it was a great job and I and you know i I didn't do it for long enough, I don't think but um uh we were we were all right there was a lot of work going on in the school. I think I was quite forward-thinking as a Senco. Um, I hadn't been a Senco in the previous code of practice, if you so. I, I had kind of f- quite fresh eyes in terms of the new code of practice, um, and I was interested in action research, and I and I had a really good deputy that I worked with, and we'd done this interesting action research project with LSAs, you know, learning support assistants and those kind of supernumerary bodies who are so amazing and brilliant and not supernumerary at all for the record. But uh, we did we did a, a project around that, and then that came up during the inspection, and it was really, I suppose, joyful for me <laughs> to talk it through with somebody and get recognition. And then the senior leadership team also recognised that that I was a bit of a deal clincher. I might be overestimating my my role in it <laughs> all, but it did feel I did get a, you know, I did get some like thank you so much at the end of the second day. You were real, you know, there was a real. I don't know if I was a turning point, but you know, they triangulate and and that meeting with me i think really um tightened up the 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 judgment for the school Mm. so so that was i suppose from a personal and professional level it felt satisfying um and Mm. it was nice to get some recognition i don't know if it needed to be within an ofsted inspection um and it was so desperate and so and so highly stressful um so you know we were desperate to get the good which we did get I don't, I don't really don't know if that was healthy, but I certainly got accolades for having helped with that.
1: So does
2: that make yeah, sense? Yeah, I totally understand. I've had similar experiences and seen that play out many times as well. Thank you for that. And so, 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 um, let's move into the challenges. You said that the that you don't think that the framework is is a good check at the moment. It's not fit for purpose. What 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 are the key issues that you that you see with it? Let's talk about the the challenges as it with the framework itself, and then we'll move into some of the stories, and I know that you, you know, you're in touch with mm. many, many head teachers mm. who've who've been bruised by their experiences with Ofsted. And let's talk about some of those challenges as well. But maybe we'll start with the framework.
0: Mm. I think, well, there are many issues. I think something that's fundamental and is being destructive. I really do think it's destructive. Is the this straitjacket of what edu- what a good education looks like, and whilst Ofsted or whoever also, worked on the framework, and I don't actually have that knowledge. Maybe we should all know. Um, and I know it was probably done consult, you know, it, was, it has been done consultatively, hasn't it, over time? But this remembering more, knowing more, and remembering more, just, these little sentences that land in a handbook that look, you know, quite innocent or fidelity. So, this phonics thing and the fidelity of the scheme. Mm-hmm. They land in the in the frame in the in the handbook, and then the profession. There's like an explosion around these words, and so phonics and the commodification of phonics schemes. The madness that has then exploded from this this one word, I think, is quite honestly unethical because there are companies that have gone, oh, we can tweet that and do it and now the school has to buy a whole new set of books and it's like teachers of and I, I, don't, I mean this with the greatest respect but we we suddenly kind of stop thinking and go well hold on a minute we, we do actually know how to teach children to read you know s- uh, synthetic phonics there's an aspect of that that's really strong and incredibly useful to help children. you know there's no denying that but but to suddenly throw out all our reading books uh, and start all over again. The number, the number of Facebook page posts I've seen on school leader uh, Facebook groups. You know, oh, we're getting rid of all our. You know, wow. uh, uh, why are you getting rid of all your reading books? Because they're <laughs> totally fine. And a lot of these new ones are, are deadly. You know, really deadly uh, because they don't have any narrative in. And children love stories. You know, the Biff and Chip books. <laughs> Uh, whatever you know people say oh I'm getting rid of all the different chip books because they're old-fashioned and dinner. but children love them because they're they're a story about a family and yes there's you know they're, they're dated like Roald Dahl books like I mentioned before and so maybe there are issues with them but there's just this madness that spins out of a single word. And then the coercive power that Ofsted wields, which means that we'll be punished if we don't do what they say, which is exactly how it works, uh, means that we we, we won't take any risks with that. Breeding is too high risk. It's the first thing that we know that they inspect. And so we go through the handbook like a tooth comb and do exactly what they say, rather than going, well, I've got 11 children you know, across reception and year one, because I'm a tiny school and we've got these books and we are able to read individually with each of the child each day. And no, I don't do whole class phonics because I've got 11 children and we're a mixed year group and we do little groups and we've got some phonics embedded in our teaching. And it's like we almost stop thinking and suddenly have to go, right, do we do whole class phonics? And then mm. there's, a, there's a six-year-old or a five-year-old or a four-year-old sitting there on the carpet. Looking at FAB, Phab, you know, which by the way is the name of a specialist assessment uh, book, but also it's an alien word. You know, it's just it's just madness. Whereas. Can we just be sensible and teach our children and have you know one so that they can have childhoods? <laughs> mm, yeah, so,
2: right. so,
0: so there's that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And 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 that word fidelity is fascinating, isn't it? Because like fidelity is often used in like in sound, like like whatever magazines isn't it like the fidelity of your record player it means like like, to what extent is it like an accurate copy so it's like copying accuracy Mm. So, so it's just like so that there is this blueprint there's this template of perfection and everybody just has to be identical you know replications of that of that original sort of source idea and that's what a good system looks like. And it's it's very much based on this idea of a machine, that the yes. education system is a machine yes. with inputs and outputs, and it's all very measurable and reliable, and there's cause and effect. And that's just that's just an idea. That's just an idea about how things work. And actually, it's not a particularly good idea when it comes to organisations that are made of people, because yeah. people are not widgets. <laughs> they nice. have values, they have life experiences, they have traumas, they have you know falling outs and friendship groups and there's politics and there's there's so many layers of complication in a in a school or in a school system that the metaphor of of you know the the system as a machine and that that this is all sort of codifiable and we can just sort of break this down into little chunks and get everybody to to do those in an iterative way that that's the way that we improve it's 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 quite a problematic idea isn't it?
0: Mm. Well, yeah, so th- there's one handbook, it's centralised, and then that spreads out into the school system. And, uh, and, and then it, it has a real, a real, a real impact. And, and there's this coercive power and fear that's in the middle of it. So, so we won't, we won't mess with it, you know, it takes a really strong leader to go, actually, I've, I've written a different strategy. And when Ofsted come, I will talk them through it, and I understand my pedagogy, and I understand the approach of this book But we've got a lot of young head teachers, and this is not me saying that young head teachers are not able to be great head teachers at all. But but it just takes a certain um, maybe wisdom that can come with years. Some people have wisdom, you know, when they're young as well. So you know, I don't want to generalise, but but it takes a real strength of leadership to do something that is potentially risky in terms of what's and it's much safer so if you're say in your 30s and you've you know been a deputy head and then you're a head of a primary school why would you you know why would you put your career on the line and take a risk and go do you know what I'm just gonna stick with a mixed uh, diet of phonics books you know and maybe there will be a child with two different phonics books in their book bag um, and one of them might be in line with the phase of phonics that they're learning and one of them might not be do you know what i'll have that conversation when the inspector comes that that take and it's risky because you might not win that battle as well even though it's fine uh, <laughs> um you know so it, it's it's got all these repercussions and as for the remembering the knowing more and the remembering more you know children there's all sorts of theories of, of um child development and knowledge about child development and let me tell you that play and stories uh is strong in there in terms of evidence <laughs> and impact you know children synthesize the world around them and then they build up knowledge and understanding and they don't really learn it by sitting in, in a row and being taught three things that hopefully next lesson they can remember when they're six
1: yeah. you know
0: they learn best when they're in the you know when they told a story about being in the forest and then they're in the forest and they remember the word forest and experience it and know what it's like and then they've got curiosity about it etc you know i, I might sound too um too uh, progressive for some people but really if you watch children how do they learn about the world they listen to stories and they play and they talk about it and it's our job to facilitate that in the best way possible not mm-hmm. to sit them in rows so that next week if an ofsted inspector can come in they can say i remember i remember we learned about forests that's not childhood
2: yeah 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 absolutely and 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 it's interesting that you use the word progressive there because i think that certainly in some quarters people deemed that the ofsted of like 10 or 15 years ago was too progressive and that they were wanting to see lots of you know like child-led learning and like co- cooperative learning and mm-hmm. lots of group work and so on and if there was too much teacher talk that was deemed to be a bad thing and there's been this sharp correction in to, to the opposite end of that spectrum yeah. if you like where they, they've defined learning I think they borrowed like Kirshner Swaller, and Clark's definition of learning as a change in long-term memory yes. and everything's filtered through this this idea like you say of, of knowledge and remembering even to the extent that there were there's some recent um Guidance, I think that Ofsted put out about about early years, and they were talking about throwing and catching a ball, but they weren't talking about it as a skill. They were framing it as the child's knowledge that it was like then then knowing how to catch and throw a ball, <laughs> and that their knowledge is intact. And it's fascinating that they're sort of performing these linguistic and intellectual yes. gymnastics to try to to squeeze the the reality, like you say, yes. of of child development, which is very very diverse and complicated and like you say, you know, it's about meaning-making and understanding mm. yourself and the social and emotional aspects of learning are all really, really intertwined and interconnected. And some sort of like input-output curriculum yes. goes in, tests, checks, knowledge. Like it's just so inadequate as a, as a framework for understanding child development.
0: But then you have to think about what tool they have. So what they're doing is they're modelling their inspection around the tool that they have rather than the other way around. So at the moment they've got the ability to go in and for two days and talk to some children and look at some books. And so they've gone, oh, how can we check the education using that tool? Yeah. And so that's oh, then we can ask the children what they can remember.
1: Uh,
0: and so that, so they've, they're building their inspection framework about, around a tool that they've decided is a good tool. So it's kind of a, it's all illogical because it's, mm. it's, it's born from that. Uh, yeah really like, interesting
2: yeah and so so i wonder if you could share if you'd be happy to some sort of like uh, insights or snapshots or anecdotes possibly either from your own experience or from um those of head teachers like why was it that you like in in the wake of the, the, the reason that you wrote that letter following the, the horrendous news yeah. about about Ruth Perry, you, this obviously resonated with something in you that you're thinking that what she went through was not just some outlier that actually yeah. quite commonly people are having very difficult experiences at the sharp end of an Ofsted inspection. I wonder if you'd be happy to just share a few sort of, you know, mm. um, glimpses into what what that can be like.
0: Yeah, well, actually, I um, on the first day of my inspection, so this was the inspection at a school that I'd been at for, I think, eight or nine school weeks. Um, I remember being upstairs. We had a lovely event. It was a cross-trust event where some children had come across and they were learning from one of the service leads, one of the operational service leads about how much budgeting for the stationery. They did this lovely exercise, whether we had lots of year fives or something from across the trust, which was 14 schools I think at the time, and you know, how, how should we buy Prit Sticks all together and having a look at some of this maths modeling? It was really great. And then somebody came in and went, Oh Miss League, there's a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have been there for eight or nine weeks and I just went, it's too early, it's too early, it's too early because you know, just give me another term. Because what happens is, is if you then get an RI, that's it for another two years. Whereas the school was on this lovely, nearly there point, you know, and I knew it would be all right. Uh, And and it was too early, my heart just sank. And then the the day that the inspector came, which was obviously the next day with his team of three, um, it was my first meeting in, in an office He's there opposite me on a table, laptop, tap 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 tap. I can't see what he's written, what he's writing, and he just says to me, "Well, we're, we're looking at a, a special measures situation, aren't we?" That's what he said, which is uh, inadequate for, for people that don't know. Yeah. So he do he'd made his mind up. Uh,
2: In the initial meeting, was... before he'd looked at anything, he said that was that just based well, on the on data.
0: Yeah. So they've looked at the IDSR, and he was, you know, the data was. Was bleak, bleakish. Let's say it was bleakish. Uh, it was low and a bit flat for the previous three years. So you know that is risky and uh, not risky. That is uh, not not good enough actually, historically, uh, in many ways. But but it was that he sat there in front of me and he said, "We're looking at a special measure situation." <laughs> right. So that was a great start, and I then proceeded to talk to him about what we were doing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now what was incredibly lucky but this is this so i think this gives insight into the uh the serendipity of of these situations Mm. is i got up and looked at something on the board which was behind him because i'd put up some documents to grab uh, from you know, um, bulldog clips, I kind of put some different things up, school improvement plan or whatever, short term list, blah blah blah, went and picked got one down and I happened to see what he typed. So I'm quite bad at reading situations. I'm very good at going into monologue. <laughs> I'm quite bad at, but you know, I'm, I'm articulate at the end of the day, so I can do the talking. But I'm not very good at reading the signs. So I tweeted the other day. Offset is around your ability to be articulate in the moment, which I've got a big tick on, and also second guessing what the inspectors are thinking. I'm very bad at that, and uh, and it was all in evidence there because I saw on his screen he said the head teacher does not listen. I saw it. Wow. So I immediately regrouped myself and sat down and kind of did a whole, I wonder if he's listening to this. It's hilarious because I just started then playing a different game. So I then sat down and I went, let me be, let me be honest with you. And then completely changed my tack to kind of show that I was a bit humble and I will listen to him and all, yeah. And so he then started to, respect me if you like as a leader because I listened to him
2: That's <laughs> and
0: did all that so suddenly I started playing his game uh and uh, a bit gosh if he's listening it's very really, very funny <laughs> and over the two days I then so I changed my mode from being articulate Rebecca who definitely has got a plan here and let me tell you all about it to kind of humble Rebecca that's like yes isn't it complex and oh tell me your advice here and, oh yes and so by the end of the two days I got a good for leadership and management <laughs> um obviously not just because I was suddenly a bit humble and listening because I, I don't mm. think I was doing a bad job as well at the end of the day but I just think it's a really interesting example that if you can And I've talked about inspector's eyebrows as a kind of metaphorical symbol. If you can interpret the the (laughs) inspector's eyebrows, then you're more likely of winning. And I've actually said, I wonder if that's ableist, because there are some types of brains out there. <clears throat> mm. you know about neurodiversity and autism and things like that. There are sometimes of, types of brains out there that, that aren't very good at, uh, at uh, interpreting eyebrows, best mm. quality speaking, but they might be really good at leading schools, <laughs> but it comes down to whether they can just about second guess what the head teacher's saying, they, what their inspector's saying, because what what they play with you is they say things like, so I've had a meeting with your deputy, mm, tell me about her. And what they're doing is they're checking... Whether your opinion of them is the same as theirs. Mm. So if you go, oh no, she's completely on it. She definitely knows her stuff. She's very good at safeguarding and but you know she probably would do to do well on a bit of a project around improving teaching and learning. You're kind of and if they agree, then you're good. Whereas if if they think if they've met her and are not sure about how good they are, so to speak. Then they go, Oh dear, this head teacher hasn't got a measure of her staff. And so the whole thing is like, have I got this right? Am I aligned with what you're saying? And you're not actually thinking about the good of the school at all. So
2: it's you're like just a... trying
0: to pick up on the nuance of the situation.
2: Yeah, it's like the classic sort of bad teaching thing where it's like, guess what's in the teacher's head? You're playing again yes. guess what's in the inspector's head. Yes. Or second guess. It's yes. fascinating. And and that that story like reveals something about the, the methodology here. You know, you were yes. talking about, you know, you're interested in practitioner inquiry and action research earlier, and so am I, and social research more widely. And uh, and so much of an inspection's outcome, it seems, depends on things like personalities and like Interpersonal dynamics and ego strokes, you know, like you were just describing, mm. that you that this person felt like they wanted to be listened to, and that they were imparting their knowledge, and that you were going to be a good yes. headteacher because you would do what they said, not because you were a good leader who already had a plan. and yes. it was about sort of me. It was about like validating them as people. Yes, which is weird because they they're not in the school for like <laughs> for the, like you know the ninety nine point nine nine percent of its time. Um, and so that's fascinating, isn't it? Just like the, the actual, the, the the methodology, the way in mm. which they, the, that it's portrayed as an objective judgment, but it's made, that, that objective judgment is made by a subjective person or the lead inspector or their team of inspectors who are riddled with human cognitive biases and contradictions and values mm. and life experiences and, and all of that.
0: Yeah, and going back to what I said about men being you know, the first ones on the radio. Uh, you know, I don't know what the demographics are of offset inspectors, uh, but and but I do know, for example, because I looked at it yesterday, because it, at the moment um, we've got all the stuff about the pay offer, and I was looking at a lot of the data around how the pay was originally set with the um, school teachers review board, which is a fascinating document, and there are more men, white men, so the, the ladder, as you go up the ladder, it gets whiter and more male, and that's all in the data. And so, if you think that inspectors are taken from people that are up on the ladder, it's white and male. And, you know, that's a problem. That's a real problem. And our primary schools, uh, it's a it's a it is a predominantly although this is complicated but there are so many of us women leading primary school, basically um and and we we get these we, we do get these very difficult situations uh with with men who think that they know better um and maybe they do sometimes but they don't always and as you say there's bias in there in terms of how we communicate uh and 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 you know get respect by being the right type of woman in that situation mm. you know yeah. uh, I, I see it I see it all the time it's systemic as we all know I've got three daughters um, my daughter's primary school the story I always have is they decided that the year twos or whatever it was the girls would be something in the play and the boys would be something else and the girls got to be rose petals dancing and the boys got to be the thunder you know, and so what <laughs> you know what does that say? It's just the girls all have to be lovely and meek and listen to the man and the man has to be like strong and and do the arguing. And and that was played out for me in, in the Austin inspection. And I and um. I and I did go rose petally and therefore I won. But goodness, it's it's uh, it's a minefield.
2: Hello friends. If you're enjoying this conversation with Rebecca and would like to express that in some way, you can, if you wish, become a patron of the podcast in return for various benefits. These include a searchable audio transcript of every episode to date, an ebook of Fear is the Mind Killer, the book about self regulated learning I wrote with Kate McAllister, and a three part online course called Self Regulated Learning Superpowers or all of the above, or various combinations thereof. To sign up or to find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash repod, that's R-E-P-O-D. Alternatively, if you prefer to make a one-off donation rather than becoming a monthly subscriber, you can buy me a steaming mug of herbal tea by visiting buymeacoffee.com forward slash repod. You can also support this show in other ways by leaving a glowing review on iTunes, by sharing an episode with a friend or sharing a link with some positive energy on social media and just helping to spread the word, really. And if you have any critical feedback, please feel free to send that to me privately. All such contributions and nudges, however great or small, are hugely appreciated and help keep the show on the road. Now let's get back to this fascinating conversation with Rebecca Leake are there any other anecdotes that spring to mind possibly from some other heads that you know about their experiences of Ofsted?
0: um I think the biggest thing that's come out through Suffolk through my talking to well I've got two really uh, one is is small schools in this deep dive situation So those of you listening, I hope, you know, if you're interested also, you probably know about deep dives, but this, again, in the framework, going back to the whole one word then creates this huge situation. Um, Deep dives are when a inspector will choose a subject and will then dive into it because they can't, you know, we can't do everything. So we'll check one. I actually think a case study model with pupils would be really interesting, far better um, than a subject uh, case study mm-hmm. uh, for send pupils in particular i think that would be i think it would be really good to do a case study model with individual children um but uh but with less high stakes and silliness obviously so the, the so that in a small school you might have two or three classrooms and you have to do and you have to do a curriculum model that means that you go through a kind of cycle of of topics whereby different age groups are together. And so you do end, you know, one very sensible way of doing things in small primary schools, and maybe in all schools, to be honest, but that's another conversation, is a topic-based curriculum. And so it might be um, the wind and the willows, you know, and so there's geography there and rivers, there's science and habitats, there's, um, there's friendship and PSHE, uh, there's literacy and stories, there's art, there's there's all sorts of things. Uh, and different children will do will will come at it in different ways. And that is a very sensible thing to do if you've got 80 lovely children in your school. The offset inspector marches in and says, I want to see your geography curriculum. <laughs> and of course, you know, if you're playing the game really well, and I'm sure lots of schools have done this, they've pulled out from each module and topic what's covered in geography and the wind and the willows bit. But I do ask, what use of time was that? Whereas actually the best use of time might've been a teacher looking at all the artwork that the children had produced in the last lesson and going, gosh, they really like the silver birch thing that we were talking about. So let's do some stuff with silver birches. You know, that's a far better use of a, of a wonderful creative teacher's time. And so this spiral around curriculum and progression maps and everything it is, you know, and so lots of small school teachers have talked to me about this and how to grapple with these deep dives and be ready and have the documentation ready where it is so ill fitting to how, uh, you know, a mixed age group and any primary school, if you ask me, should, if you ask me, be running.
2: Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. That's fascinating. And and uh, so you said there was two things. The first thing was small schools and deep dives.
0: Thank you. <laughs> and the second thing is I we've had the chair of um Suffolk Primary Head Teachers. So I I'm the person that does the work, and he's the he's the chair of the board, if you like that I answer to, and he's got two schools. He's an executive head of a federation of two schools in Felixstone. He's got an infant school and a junior school, and he had two inspections six eight week, eight school weeks apart the same situation so they ha- are historically good so they were having a, a checker kind of inspection the quick in and out section eight are you still good or not and th- basically to cut a long story short they were completely different and that's the thing so the methodology if you like was different how they picked the deep dives he has one Senko across the two schools and now I might be um, changing it a little bit because obviously this is now second hand but in summary he has a Senko across the two schools in one inspection there was somebody that knew stuff about send and in another there wasn't and so the rigor and the experience of the same Senko in the two inspections was completely different. Um, And so it just, again, makes you kind of go, well, I mean, I want rigor, (laughs) you know, particularly with SEND, I'm in a SENCO, I I really think it's so important, and and, and if we get it right, and it needs to be systemic through the school, a whole school approach, and you know, if, if you ask me, all head teachers should have been Senko's and then all offset inspectors should have been Senko's and then head teachers and then offset inspectors. I think that would be very good. Um, and so we're letting the, the children down who are the ones who are in need of the greatest expertise. If if just, well, well, there wasn't an offset inspector that day who actually knew much, so we could just waffle it through. That's not okay.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah, totally. I can see that, and and I've seen something very similar happening on a on a micro level where there was a colleague in the teach in an inspection where I was teaching, and they was they were seen twice in a day, and they got a one and a four in the same day. Mm. And you think, well, which one are they then? <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Like, is it possible? Because and and obviously, you know, you could say, well, that lesson was a one, and that lesson was a four. But the way that that label attaches itself to you as a person, like if you get a bad inspection, if you get a bad lesson, lesson judgment, and I know that they don't judge, they, no, they don't grade, grade, do that grade, grade anymore. lessons anymore, no. um, at least not explicitly. Maybe they.
0: Yeah, but it, but it, happen- it- but, but it happens in terms of the judgment that lands on the school. It of course, yeah, it absolutely. So long, the school where I was the head where we got that ri uh, although in three areas we got good by the way but we got um ri overall because of the limiting judgment thing um mm-hmm. it's still ri it's still ri over three years later so they say they'll come back and reinspect within 30 months i think it's now 38 months that is not an ri school at all. It wasn't yeah. really an RI school then for whatever that means anyway. Yeah. You know, and so you off it's state agent search engines, that's school RI. How many children do you think they get putting that down as first place in the in the local area? Not as many as they might because of the silly
2: labels. Yeah, of course. Know? And even 30 months is like, you know, some some somebody tweeted the other day about how like, if your car fails it's MOT. Yeah. And it's like you need to just go and get a new tire because the, the yeah. treads were a bit thin and you sort it out and then they they reinspect it you know within mm. whatever the day or yeah. within, you know obviously you know it's hard to do that logistically with Ofsted but you know there's there's, there's you could be closer to you know within a week or within a, within a month than like 30 30 yeah. months is ridiculous like you say because that has such a massive effect on the the lives of those teachers on teacher recruitment and retention yeah. on the yeah house prices in the local area and it's just um yeah it's it's not good. So, 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 so the 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 Offsted the HMA job description is out at the moment, isn't it? Amanda Spielman's reign is coming to an end. I'm not going to ask if you if you put an application, but just let's let's play the little imaginative game that you are appointed as the new HMI. You're given a carte blanche by who's that, Gillian Keegan, whoever. Just says, I know it's supposed to be arm's length, but you know, probably behind closed doors. Who knows what happens. You have a carte blanche. What would you do to fix the situation to make Ofsted really positive and fit for purpose?
0: Well, it's a tank at the moment. And so, you know, there's there's no quick turnaround. So I will say that I know everyone says, well, just do that and do that. You know, if you're used to large scale strategic improvement, then you know, it doesn't really work like that. So just to say, I'm not gonna say any quick fixes because mm-hmm. generally speaking, it's not possible. But, but in terms of vision on the horizon stuff,
1: yeah.
0: I would say that uh, whoever is developing frameworks and then delivering whatever they're going to deliver should have direct experience, knowledge, curiosity, and interest in the phase in which the school is. So if it's a, an early years, if it's an infant school with a nursery, you know, two form, two reception classes, et cetera, you must have a team or somebody, you know, and a framework that is built around that phase of, of life. It's so important. And I would actually think that that needs to be a trend in education in general, by which I mean, that people who not the other way. I think sometimes it's done the other way around. Uh, people go, oh, secondary we must all learn about that hard stuff in secondary. Actually, I think it needs to be the other way around. I would love there to be a campaign for all secondary head teachers to have to read and pass a module in early child development. Mm. I think it would do everyone a lot of good. But just in yeah, in terms of as I say, the vision on the horizon is that if you're going to be looking at schools and deciding whether they're on the up or not, and I say that carefully because that might be the answer to my next question, so that might be my next thing that I say, is you need to know your staff for that phase. I think that's really important.
2: Yeah, and that doesn't happen, to be clear at the moment, I saw somebody talking about that the other day that it's quite often the case that like somebody will be inspecting a primary, a primary school who's never taught in primary, never exactly. led a primary school
0: yeah exactly that um and then another thing uh that i that i think would be interesting and is backward <laughs> uh, not really but <clears throat> they used to be so i was having a look at the 2012 so in 2019 we had all this education noise new framework bish bash bosh i were then i went back to the 2012 because i wasn't really aware of of ofsted in 2012 uh, as much uh, it was before i was really in Leadership, you know, I was cutting my teeth in the classroom and um, and they there used to be uh, this area called and actually it was before that, I think, anyway, somebody who knows more about it than me. I think it went out with the 2012 one was this judgment, little judgment. And there used to be lots more little judgments around capacity to improve. And I think that's really interesting uh, as, as in terms of if you visit a school are they and a word i'm just using a word that somebody else said to me and i'm not saying this is true but you know that one of the risks may be if somewhere like suffolk and again there's that uh, there's another thing about there are areas and there are different challenges in different areas one of the risks is that it becomes a bit parochial and i'm sorry to use that word Suffolk because i love Suffolk, but you know you might have been a teacher in Suffolk and then a deputy head and then you're the head of that school and you might not have really worked that anywhere else and so you haven't got that wider frame of of reference and so you know to to mitigate that risk one of the things is is somebody coming and going well is there is there capacity here to you know it needs a bit of a shake-up and is there capacity for that and it could be that there isn't as in, oh no, we're fine, thank you. We didn't, we don't need to look at any other school. And then you kind of go, mm, I'm not sure if this is going to flourish more and more. Or they go, oh no, don't worry, we're part of a network and we're actually going to visit Neasden next week because um, you know we're really interested in what they're doing with an international project. And And you go, oh, okay. So there is this outward looking capacity. Whether I mean to improve, I'm not really sure. But but there's that. There's a risk. It's, it's thinking about it from a risk-based approach, if you like. So what are the risks here? Or oh, it's too inward-looking. It, it may just get stagnant. Or actually, is there the support around it? Are they part of a trust? And I'm not saying that's the right thing at all. But um, you know, are they part of a trust that's got exciting things going on, where there's a lot of leadership support or recruitment or whatever? And then if they don't have capacity, or if it, if it doesn't feel like this school is going to dynamically improve, well, what can we do then? what do we then do? Do we link it with another school? Do we check what the uh, um, local authority does? Because there's variability across the country. Uh, So There's something in that, I think. I I just like that capacity to improve or capacity to adapt. And certainly that brings me right back to what I think I said near the beginning with um, Stafford Beer and the viable systems model, which is basically the question is does this organization have a chance of survival and you just check and then you check again and you just if you get the checks in the right way uh, to tweak and improve and mend something but not too much because if you check it too much it becomes stagnant there's something in that i think mm. and so i would i would exp- as i say talking about what's on the horizon definitely age related which i don't like as a phrase but- because there's another thing that's uh, that's taken over, but you know, inspectors that do things that, that they know about, please, yeah. and and also uh, capacity to be dynamic, uh, and and a check of that, I think, and then the third thing is um, really high risk stuff, which is safeguarding, uh, regular checking, which actually happens in many trusts, but there's too much variability, so it'd be really good if that became standardised in some respects. Uh, I think there could be a real system change there with local authorities, uh, you know, audit model, uh, sharper. There kind of is already. So, you know, there's those audits that happen regularly already. So, you know, often inspectors kind of go, let me look at your single central record and then being a bit annoying. And I'm not saying safeguarding is annoying, but what I'm saying is, is they, they sometimes think they know they've got you on something and then they don't. And it's a bit of a silly game. Whereas a healthy... Audit check around safeguarding would actually mean that then the real lovely stuff, if you like, about teaching, learning, and organisational development would then be, you know, there'd be more space for that, if you like, separate them off.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's really interesting. Um, and so, so with the, with the, I totally agree with the first thing. You know. The inspectors need to know what they're talking about and they need to be of that world in, in order for it to go well and in, in order for it to for them to have the insight and also for in order for the people on the other on the, on the other side of this the school leaders and teachers to feel like they're dealing with somebody who understands their context yeah. and, you know that trust is, is really helped there the capacity to to be dynamic and to improve is interesting it sounds like it's more of a sort of like a bottom-up approach to inspection like looking at the school and its local context and it's something that's not just like measuring it against a predetermined set of uh, arbitrary sort of standards of perfection because like you say you know like the small schools are very different to very big schools different parts of the country are very different to other parts of the country so this sounds like it's more of just like a grounded theory sort of like bottom-up approach Mm. to understanding what's happening in that school and to painting a realistic rich picture of what that school is like Rather than sort of saying, here are all the ways in which it falls short. It's sort of like a deficit model for the schools who don't know how to play that that game, you know?
0: Yes. So in governance, uh, there are different people have kind of defined different approaches to governance in different ways. Like everything, there's <laughs> a theories and all that about everything. But networked versus hierarchical, I think, is interesting. Um, and so we are in a very networked governance Uh, environment now we have we you know a school may be part of a multi-academy trust so there's a board over there and then you've got your local school board that does slightly different activities and I'm incredibly interested in that I'm actually writing a book on it so (laughs) but uh, in terms of um, you know there's checks there that are hopefully different and unfortunately I think that's not well enough defined in many circumstances and there's a lot of double checking, but that's another conversation. So what you're talking about is this, yes, what you maybe not so much bottom up, but seeing it within its ecosystem. Mm. Tell me about your local governing body. Tell me about your multi-academy trust. Tell me about your local authority. Tell me about your deputy head who's doing an MPQSL. Tell me about where did you do your MPQH? What did you learn from it? Who are your colleagues? tell me about your peer review uh, network system thing that happens in this borough of London or whatever it is, you know, okay, walk me around your school, tell me what the impact of all those interconnected checky bits, uh, governance essentially are, what's the impact of it? And then you go, do you know what? The, The local school board doesn't seem to be doing anything. Well, that needs feeding back. Or if the head goes, actually, the board level stuff is real drain, and I don't feel like I'm getting enough support. Well, that's really relevant. Or they might go, do you know what? There's a new RE lead for the trust, and they've completely transformed how we do RE, and it's so brilliant. And da da da, great. So then, you know, then you're getting this picture of what, it, how, how is the uh, school plugged in, if mm. you like. And and I think that's a really, I think that's a key area to
1: inspect if
2: if inspect is the right word yeah Yeah. it it seems like there's a there's a mindset shift that's required here i imagine that somebody might say like in opposition to this Mm. argument they might say if it's if it's all sort of like looking at the local context and and networked stuff and so on and, and you said it's not not bottom up but it's sort of yeah just more like contextual um, that that is therefore you know not as reliable because you're not able to compare reliably across different schools on the same criteria and make a and form a reliable judgment but I th- I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that but my initial response to that is that it's not reliable anyway like I think that no. I think that we pretend that it's reliable because yeah. there's this illusion of of uniformity in in the process well, but like we said that like we've heard so much of it swings on you know, the, the, the what, uh, which you know, muscles in the eyebrows of the inspector, you yeah, know, um, twitch at particular times, and how yeah. people interpret those, and all of that stuff. It's like, is this is not a, a reliable instrument already, and so let's just embrace the complexity and go about this in a much more context-based way, rather than pretending that we can just like, measure everybody on the same, you know, slide rule.
0: I think you've just summarised the quant and the qual debate there, (laughs) in that, you know, anyone that doesn't know that, quantitative is an illusion, isn't it? And so, whereas qualitative, we go, yes, we know it's rich and complex and different. And so that's what we're going to embrace, because it's rich and complex and different. I think that's why single word judgments are really doomed, to be honest, because... They're not helpful. You can't compare a ninety pupil school that you know finds it really hard to recruit because it's, it's somewhere right at the end of the train line to an inner city secondary school. You know that's just silly. So I think I think you're I think you hit it there, which is embrace the the diversity and uh, and and but but building a really rich uh, uh, framework that has the opportunity for rich conversation and challenge. Um, because there are schools I do get I do get worried when I hear people say I haven't heard of that book before and I think how have you not heard of that book or I say to somebody so what kind of interest what what early years theories are you interested in this is somebody that might run a school and they go oh I don't really know (laughs) I do get worried about that so you know I think there is a real need for professional conversation dialogue and challenge and you know, but in a really positive way, mm. uh, I think that will be the best for the school system, for our children.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah right. Um, and and you know going back to the you saying that the one word um judgments are doomed, I've heard people saying in the last week, I think it might have been politicians or somebody saying that 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 they they give parents really important information that they like. and like, I mean, even if that's true, And I think it's questionable that it like the extent to which parents rely on those on those one word judgments, the the the, it's crap information. (laughs) Like like you can't you can't you can't sum up like the complexity of a school in a single word. And like you say, that's the single word. There are there are schools in this country, by the way, that haven't had a full inspection for seventeen.
1: I know. I know.
0: And so.
2: That that one word judgment, you know, the idea that that could describe what the school was like yesterday or five years ago, is is like just for the birds. Like it's yeah. not it's not good information. So yes, we're giving parents information, but it's just nonsense. We're giving them nonsense judgments that that yeah. are not reliable or informative as to like what their child's experience at that school will actually be like.
0: Yeah, I think it's actually really dangerous as well in that. Um, we want parents to be engaged with their education. We want them to overlap, and in t- kind of going, you only need to know that you're almost uh, saying, "Don't worry about school because we've got this," or we don't, and that's 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 really just dangerous as well because the best schools I can tell you, or primary schools anyway, because um, that's what I'm in at the moment, are the ones where the parents are really involved and you know we're in and out and there's projects and conversations and it's overlapped i'm really interested in the edges it's another permaculture theory about you know if you really pay attention to your edges where there's polycultures of overlap then that's when things get really healthy and i think by going one word almost when you're when your children are three or four you're being sent a little message that says don't worry you don't need to read much you just need to know that and then send them in at the door (laughs) as if it's like actually come and visit come and talk to the teachers here's a you know and also we do a disservice to parents don't we i think all parents can read a couple of pages rather than four words and if they need it in a different language or you know they need some help with that well then we will facilitate that absolutely but but to say oh well they just need one word (laughs) i think i'm fair enough i'd like more than one word thank you very much
2: (laughs) Well also, I mean this idea of like labor are talking about having some sort of a, a report, you know this is an idea yeah, that I've been, I've been kicking around recently as well. you know, a bit like like on on the, on a packet of crisps or whatever and it's like sugar, fat, salt, and it's like you know like sort of has different traffic light colors as to how yeah. you know like what different metrics are like. And I think that there's some there's some value in that. and if 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 those included things like are the children, do the children say that they're happy? You know like what's yes. what's what's teacher retention like that's a really good barometer yeah. of, of you know like like what the school is like is a yeah. very high staff turnover so that the, the longevity of relationships isn't going to be there there are loads of things that we could look at you know mm. that would be that I'm sure that parents would love to look to see whereas you know like yeah the quality of teaching and learning versus curriculum versus behavior and then and then just to come back to your other to your other thing about about safeguarding um and and how we need regular safeguarding checks i, I don't I've, ne- I've yet to meet a, a, a head teacher who says that they would not be up for that <laughs> you know mm. like, like nobody has a problem with being audited to make sure we, we, that the, the, the kids yeah. are safe but but there's sorry do you want to come in there
0: well i was gonna say we do it already i think that's another question about duplication of effort actually in that you know in this county there's uh um, an audit that we have to fill in or you know where and so it might need tightening or changing but that's already happening and then in the in the trust that I work with it was the e-act actually if you want to google them um, and we they developed a really interesting model and they've changed it and because things evolved but at the time that I was involved with them they they, they developed this what I called, I don't think they did, but I kind of called it a professionalised governance model. And they had safeguarding system leaders who would do precisely that. So they would go in and they would have an audit model and they would look through and check and blah, blah, blah. And then they would give actions. And then we would report back within six weeks whether it was done or not. Um, and some of it was quick fixes you know because uh, whatever and some of it was 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 harder stuff you know uh, because some of the school you know some big secondary schools and complex areas in london uh, you know areas needed tackling in a in a in a longer term way in terms of the curriculum for the children them learning engagement with the parents and blah 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 but um but but i thought that was a, that was a good model but what you don't want is you don't want it happening three times by three different people looking at with slightly different worded questions. So it's something mm. that could be done. Um, if it could be done systematically, that would be really good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause one of the things that I've been thinking and I've, Uh, this is this is going in a different direction to what you just said is that like I think that part of the problem is that Ofsted's remit has become so broad Mm. that they're looking at all of this stuff down to that you know defining what they think learning is and all of that and that just stuff that should be in the hands of trained qualified professional people who know what they're talking about um that they're not able to to even on the you know on their on their own scorecard of making out like safeguarding is the most important thing and it's the gatekeeper judgment and if, you, if you're if you not good for safeguarding mm-hmm. then you you know the whole school is all right um but if they're not obs- if they're not inspecting schools in 17 years you know they might have done a monitoring visit in that time but still you know maybe one or, or two in that time that's not that's not making sure that those schools are safe you know if like if safeguarding is your is your like um raison d'etre Mm. then do it every year and just like so so maybe there should be a a vastly slimmed down version of Ofsted that just does these annual safeguarding checks but but this is where it potentially clashes what you just said because you were saying that those safeguarding checks could be done elsewhere um and then I was thinking that the the you know all the other stuff like the peer review model, where schools buddy up with another local school, and they have a, a cross-sectional team involving pupils, teaching assistants, the senco, senior leaders, middle leaders, and they observe other schools and they observe that school. And it could be around a theme, it could be around feedback mm. or behaviour or whatever it is that the school's self-evaluation says that they want to develop. And it's something that's strength-based, that's led through you know appreciative inquiry, and you could have a have a system that would sit alongside this sort of you know a safety auditor essentially that's more developmental that's looking at all of that that other stuff and that recognizes the and celebrates the diversity Mm. and the you know the fact that a one-size-fits-all system is not going to be able to cater to the needs for such a large diverse population of schools people of kids
0: Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a big question, isn't it, as, as to what can be um, centralised, if you like, and systematised mm. and what can't be. And I, I am actually a big fan of, of systems in terms of, I think, I think it'd be quite good if all schools had the same website everyone might be going, horror. But in terms of obviously the content within the different pages, but the amount of headache that that um, schools go through, <laughs> going, oh, what do we, what's point. the checklist and have we got this and the uniform policy and, so the, and I think, do you know what? If the government just said, here's your website, put the bits on, and then you have a, the ability to you know, put up photos and whatever and, and make it yours, uh, then the amount of stress that we all have trying to work out whether we and the messy old ones that, that we layer on top of and layer on top of, you know, I think that could be centralised, um, whereas curriculum approaches should not be centralised. You know, so it, it, that's a that's a lovely question to ask. Maybe that's the starting point.
2: Mm interesting and maybe that's a nice ending point to to let to to end on a question like what to what extent does this need to be centralized what can we what can we kick out and uh and and like you say i I really loved what you were talking about about you know just like unleashing this uh unleashing the professional knowledge the decision making capacity for people to mm. to 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 not switch off their brains to not just think yes. Oh, I, I, as long as we're just sort of doing what Ofsted says and we don't need to really think about this much more to actually you know to to be engaged in like an ongoing dialogue within our within our communities with everybody throughout our communities with parents with kids with researchers with the, with yeah. the evidence base um, figuring out how to do this best in a way that, that, that and, and, and autonomy yeah is absolutely key to that like you can't, you can't you can't have that culture in a compliance you know culture it, it just doesn't work in a, in a compliance machine if you like in a fidelity machine
1: mm.
2: you can't have that kind of people-powered innovation happening we need to loosen those screws and set people free mm. to, to um to do what they think is right, you know, while recognizing the need to, like you say, to to check in on them every now and then.
0: Yeah, I, I, I pose an interest, I think I pose the, the, an interesting question in a little bit of writing that I'm doing for this book uh, that I'm on with, with governance, and which is governance or checks are very easy in some ways when it's the trunchbull uh, in charge of a school, because you go, well, that's inappropriate. That, that can't happen. We must do, sort that out and blah, blah, blah. Um, and well actually, where's the governing body with in Matilda is the, the kind of premise. So in a trunchbull situation, in some ways it's easy, but then the big question, which is just what you were saying is what, what do we do when it's Miss Honey? When it's wonderful, what's the role of Ofsted there? And what's the role of checking or governance when the school's wonderful? Mm-hmm. Surely it's to just add a little bit of energy and spin the wheel again. Uh, to just keep it going, uh, maybe I don't know, but I do think I think that's a, that's really good. When things go wrong and it's bad, we mm. can go check, check, check. But when things are healthy and good, which is surely our aspiration, well, then 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 the questions start getting really interesting.
2: Yes, although to play the devil's advocate, doesn't doesn't, <laughs> doesn't Matilda go and live with Miss Honey, which is a bit she of a, a, safeguarding. a safeguarding red <laughs> <Yeah>. flag. <laughs> right well Rebecca thank you so much for for responding to my tweet for for taking the time to to chat with me this morning um it's really lovely to meet you and to get to know you a little um do come to the I'd love to to um to see if you if you if you'd be interested to come and speak at the Rethinking Education conference which is going to be happening on Saturday the 23rd of September this year in North London we've just um, finalised the venue this week so it's, we we had our first one last year and it was just absolutely a, a wonderful day kids on the stage can I come and talk can I,
0: can I come and talk about permaculture and its relevance for school systems <laughs> do you
2: know what yeah I've been I've wanted to pick up on that I love the fact that you've been talking about permaculture throughout this conversation yeah please do absolutely amazing, yeah.
0: amazing.
2: perfect right you're in <laughs> all Lovely. right thank you for thank you for speaking with me
0: thank you so much and and if anyone wants to find me I'm really interested in sensible and respectful debate um and I, so I'm on Twitter if you if you just at Rebecca Leak L-E-E-K underscore because somebody else got Rebecca Leak without the underscore how dare they um so that's me and I'm <laughs> sure you'll put that in somewhere but you know I'm I really love a good a good conversation so find me there yeah
2: amazing thank you so much
1: Time is a measure of change We don't have much time Time is a measure of change